Listen carefully to what the psalmist has to tell us. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to you. I do not sit with the worthless, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the company of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in ignorance and go around your altar, O Lord, singing aloud a song of thanksgiving and telling of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the house in which you dwell and the place where your glory abides. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, our second text today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. Listen now for the word of God for you and for me. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what he has done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, here we are again. Um, this is my last Sunday here before I move just on down the road to Central Prez. Um, and these last weeks have had me thinking about my time here at first, where I started and the pastor that I have become. Six years ago, almost to the day, I walked into these doors and um, to be a seminary intern for community ministries. I had no intent or ordination and I had no desire to work in the church even. I just knew that I wanted to serve. I remember my first day, my cohort was getting a tour and I remember walking into this sanctuary and being completely overwhelmed. It is beautiful, isn't it? Uh, and my mentor, Rebecca, who was a pastor here for a long time, asked if anybody wanted to come up and stand in the pulpit just to get a feel for it. And um, it was pretty intimidating, right? Uh, even in an empty sanctuary, this is, uh, feels like a lot. So I chose not to step up here, and I never thought I ever would be up here, and yet here I am. You see, despite my Presbyterian roots, I entered seminary not as part of the faith, um, and I'll admit to having a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about the church in general. Um, after all, the church has hurt a lot of people throughout history. 
But in this very space, I was asked to start a journey to service and redemption and what it means to take up the cross and follow Christ. Luckily, I was very fortunate to have wonderful mentors, not just the, stir, the church staff and, and pastors who've helped me along the way, but also volunteers and members and neighbors who've taught me so much. I think of some of my first weeks working here in community ministries, and as an example, um, I was doing my normal mail shift in our old space upstairs, and um, I'll admit I was going through a little bit of a difficult time. There was an illness in my family, and um, we'll just say cancer has a way of bringing you to your knees, whether you are awaiting diagnosis, going through treatment, or just loving somebody through it. And I was loving somebody through it. And that day, I was doing my very best to listen well and do my intern job of retrieving the mail and handing it out to the people who came to pick it up. And a woman was in that day that I hadn't met before. Um, she was older and slight and somewhat frail, and she looked right at me and said, what's the matter with you? And I smiled and I assured her, I, you know, I'm fine. Um, and she said to me, you are not fine. And this went on for a minute or so, and um, I'll tell you what, y'all, that woman cracked this first-year seminary student right open, um, and she insisted we go for a walk to get ice cream. And just so you know, uh, there is no place to get ice cream around here at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Um, but that's not what it's about, right? Um, and you don't tell Miss Gigi no. You just don't. So we went for a walk, and... Uh, as I said, not much ice cream, but uh, just a walk and a talk. And she told me about her life and her family and her own diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. She knew that she was not long for this world, and she shared her dream on, of going on a cruise before she died. And we laughed and cried about how God's plans are not always the easiest thing to swallow. This time we had together brought together two of us, two people, they're very different, but bonded in our grief, and it helped us get through a tough time, even if that time was just a short walk. Miss Gigi has shown me what real service is. It's getting vulnerable and down to the nitty-gritty with people. In this text we read today, it also comes at a really hard time in the life of the disciples. Jesus has just revealed some really hard truths. When we look at the first verse, we learn this is a turning point. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. Now with this revelation, as hard as it is to swallow, Jesus is introducing the disciples to sort of an upside down version of what a Messiah might look like. Messiah literally means anointed one in both Hebrew and Greek. And when we hear that, we think somebody special, somebody undefeatable, set apart to be glorified. But Jesus flips that and says, hey, I'm going to suffer. I am not headed for a victorious throne or crown. I'm going to the cross and I am going to die. Now, this was not expected from the Messiah foretold by the prophets. Besides, isn't death admitting defeat? Is all hope lost? 
Well, no. Jesus lets us know that royal power is arriving in a new way, power that gets redefined. True power is defined as self-giving love. But Peter, oh, poor Peter. Peter just doesn't get it. Uh, he won't accept it, and he speaks up. Peter's almost always the first one to speak up, and it gets him into trouble over and over again. And he says, this can't happen, which is a totally reasonable response. Peter has not accepted or understood the situation. The idea of a suffering servant could be a tough one to swallow. Claiming defeat on a cross is unthinkable for a king which has been prophesied to save all of humanity. But Peter tries to pull Jesus aside and counsel him and better understand the situation. And Jesus responds to him not as a helpful friend, but as a person who is in direct opposition to God perhaps in frustration and not in the most pastoral way, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Simply put, put Jesus has rebuked Peter, the rock on which the church is, will be built, and he calls him a stumbling block. Ouch. This is a reminder that Peter to Peter that there is much to learn, and learn he does. The text continues to unpack this idea of an upside-down view of the messianic promise. To quote this passage again, then Jesus told his disciples, if any, want, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, we'll find it. And this leads us to the question of the day, doesn't it? How do we pick up our cross and keep what is divine in this upside-down world? Well, friends, we cannot run from God. We cannot run from God's plan for us. We cannot bury our heads in the sand and ignore the divine truths that get set before us just because they're hard. Like the response of Peter, Peter rejects the cross because it's scary, this new horizon. Peter is realizing that he and the other disciples are set to lose everything. This is a very charged and vulnerable exchange, and Jesus is sharing a difficult truth that he must die, and he does not sugarcoat it. But on the other hand, Peter's just trying to cope with the idea that everything will be different, even if Peter doesn't completely understand at the time this hard truth, this time of change will save the world, but it takes a little faith to get there. And y'all, faith is hard. It is risky. Jesus was real with his followers, even when it was hard, even when he was vulnerable enough to accept and strong enough to help his disciples through tough times. He was and is king of the lowly, serving and loving the vulnerable with authenticity and true understanding of what it means to suffer. And Peter, the rock, or in this case, the stumbling block, well, I think we all can be our own stumbling block sometimes. So, how can we stop being our own stumbling block and love like Jesus? Well, I think Faith in God and also in our own humanity is a great place to start. 
Let's get our hands dirty. Let's really dig into the messy, complicated world of humanity. As Jesus says, we are going to have to sweat and bleed and die for those who want to save their lives will lose and those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. If we are to follow a servant Messiah in this upside down world, we must honor living in forgiveness, gain wealth by giving it away, and live our lives in service to one another. But what does service look like? Well, there are many ways to live and serve in the world. Every person is different, so it makes sense that the way each of us serves might look different, and that's okay. How wonderful it is to have such diverse opportunities and talents to serve. Some folks might be called to hand out food. Um, some are called to wash feet. We have doctors, we have lawyers, accountants, teachers, musicians, massage therapists, social workers, pastors, and all kinds of people living in the world just trying to understand the call that God has placed on their lives. But I want to suggest that there is uh, one thing that underlies it all, and that is relationships. Relational ministry is a concept I didn't really hear about until seminary, but it is the foundation of all service. I believe it to be so. Relational ministry is fundamentally based on the nature of God. We need not look further than the Trinity to understand a mutual giving relationship between persons. Now, I will not go on and on about the Trinity, but I will say this one time. They are three, but there's one. And then I think about Miss Gigi. Through vulnerability, both hers and mine, and that sweet walk on that hot September day, Miss Gigi was the first person to really teach me about relational ministry. And I want to reiterate that this kind of ministry is alive everywhere, just not just in the doors of these churches or through the many service opportunities that we have in our ministries. Friends, we live in a lonely, lonely world so why miss the opportunity to connect and live in fellowship with one another? I believe that the way to a strong and connected relationship is through transparency and vulnerability, which is at the heart of service. That's right, vulnerability is at the heart of service. And that means a couple of things, right? First, we have to be honest with ourselves. Why are we doing this? Is this because we have a true desire to connect with God? Is it because we want to connect with other people or have fellowship? Or is it maybe about checking a service box or getting it on a resume or maybe sometimes even giving ourselves a pat on the back? It is still always good to serve. And second, how does it feel? How does it make you feel to serve? Some folks, it seems easy. It just washes over them. It feels good to help our brothers and sisters and siblings, but usually there's a little bit more to it than that. As we confront the problems of the world, be it inside these doors or out, there's going to be a tug. Maybe it's one of injustice. Maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's fear. Anyway, you slice it. Service is going to make you feel something. And that's good. Be real about it. Feel it. And then it's what you choose to do with those feelings that makes real change. In my time here at First Presbyterian, we have been shifting to a true relational ministry 
model in community ministries. We have listened to our unhoused neighbors. We are paying attention to the needs that come through the doors and responding to individuals as individuals. And this is the work. What we have here in this church is special. And I think that the pandemic was a litmus for what the community really needs. First Press stayed open when many of the other organizations in Atlanta were forced to close. And in that time, community ministries went from serving about 30 people a day to providing mail services, tax preparation, assistance with critical documents, bagged lunches, and fellowship opportunities for over 130 people every day. The need was so great that we had to move from our space into the fellowship hall just to make room. And the congregation responded. You all responded. Out of this came the plan for the Smith Building, a council that is dedicated to the mission of community ministries and a strategic plan that answers the needs of the city with what we do best, and that's being in relationship with folks. What we have now is a two-pronged approach to our ministry. First is our duty as Christians, to love our neighbor, to feed the hungry, to be good stewards of what God has provided us. And this is why no matter what, we will welcome folks with radical hospitality, whether that means coffee and a Bible study, a new pair of work boots, or a Thanksgiving meal, or as my mother calls it, a celebration of poultry. We want folks to come through our doors to be fed. Maybe that's a sandwich made by our youth group. Maybe it's through a writing workshop where everyone is welcome. Or maybe, just maybe, it's through the warmth and genuine connection of this congregation. The second approach is by walking alongside individuals as they navigate their way out of homelessness. We have three social workers on staff. That is something. We have dedicated and passionate volunteers and partner organizations who work with us on connecting people to the services they need. The vision for the new Smith Building reflects this two-pronged approach. And I'm going to tell you about it because it's very exciting. The first floor will be a community center, complete with a market-style food pantry, a clothing closet, showers, haircuts, foot care, mail, and a library. It is a place where folks can come and exist in comfort and in dignity. This is a space that is created as a place of ownership for the community. And the second floor will house uh, where our social workers are, interns, computer lab, and a large space for partner organizations to meet with and assist people from things, uh, from healthcare to legal services. And then the fourth floor uh, is the Women's Transformation Center Reborn. Um, right now, right now, they are building nine efficiency apartments for our program where nine women, including one with children, will be able to take that important step towards independence there will be programming, there will be shared meals, education, volunteer opportunities, and maybe, just maybe, I was pushing for a chili cook-off. We're going to meet people where they are. In this house of God, we meet people with dignity and compassion. But as I leave this space, I want to remind you all of a couple of things. First, be yourself. Y'all are beautiful and complex and authentic, 
If you reach out to a neighbor, let them know who you are. Say hello to somebody who is different from you and welcome them into our church. You might be surprised how they welcome you in return. And second, I would say take a page from the Miss Gigi and Kate walking around Midtown looking for ice cream playbook and embrace the fact that ministry is not efficient. It will never be efficient. It is the slow work of God. It is our slow work to do, to know our neighbors, to get to know ourselves in the process. Let's not be our own stumbling block. Let us listen well. Let us be in community. And let us get out of our own way and just love each other. So I'll ask you, what good shall you do today? For the sake of the gospel, the sake of the world. Amen.